God, I thank you so much that no matter where we're at in life, that you're always leading us forward. God, that you're always uh, drawing us closer to you. And God, I pray right now that you would help us to focus in on your word from John. God, thank you that you, you laid it out clearly for us to understand and that uh, it's through your power, Holy Spirit, that we can even understand, that we can grasp these words. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would do the impossible. Allow us to understand and interpret your word and help us to also uh, just, just, just uh, block out the distractions of life right now and, and, and to listen in to, to the message you have for us. And God, I just pray that you would shine clearly through me and, and, and that your word could uh, shine brightly and also that each person here could hear that special message for them. So in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to be in the Gospel of John. That's where we've been uh, since the start of the year, and we're continuing on that uh, journey. We're in chapter 3 right now, and uh, we're going to be kind of dancing around there. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to John chapter 3, we're going to start right in verse 1, and we're going to kind of carry it through. Uh, I love when we get to do this as a church, when we go through different sections of the Bible and uh, dive into it, because I just think it's, it's one, it's more of my style of learning, um, but second, I think it's just always good when we just jump into God's Word and just uh, kind of chew on it together. And so hopefully you've done that earlier this week, and we can all do that here now together. So uh, this is what the Word of God says, uh, again, John chapter 3, verse 1, says, Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. It is, uh, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israelites' teacher, Jesus uh, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of, the, of God's one and only Son." The verdict, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness instead of the light. Because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that, so that it may be seen plainly that whatever they have done has been done in the sight of God. So, it's important when we look at 
the Gospel of John, that we kind of understand a little bit of what John's purpose is. Um, John's Gospel is a bit different than the previous three, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as in uh, each one of them uh, had this specific audience in mind, and we kind of know that each one kind of has this desire of why they wrote that account. Uh, and John has a, a specific purpose as well when he's writing his account. Uh, except, like I said, it's a little bit different than each of the other ones. John's whole idea is he wants people to understand who Jesus is. He wants to, them to understand the person of Jesus, the character of Jesus. And so you're going to notice that in John's gospel, that some of his stories are going to be in different places than some of the other gospels. Uh, and you saw that last week. Um, John has the story of him clearing out the temple. In fact, well, I want to reference that again here in a bit. Uh, and in John's gospel, he has it in the very beginning of his book. And in the rest of the gospels, they have it towards the end of Jesus' walk. And so some people who uh, look at the, the Bible and say, oh, this is all messed up, they would point to that fact and they would say, look, look, did, did Jesus do it twice? You know, did he do this uh, two times? If so, then why didn't the other people talk about it? Why did we wait to the end? And again, you'd have to look at it and understand John's purpose is not to, to give a chronological uh, uh, statement, not a chronological story of Jesus' life. Instead, he's linking stories so that we can understand the character of Jesus. So in, in a way, we, we can understand just as if we were going to share stories of someone we love, we wouldn't necessarily say, well, in the beginning they were born and then this happened. We would kind of link stories where we could share traits of that person and, and help them under, other people understand who they are. And so that's what John's doing here. He's not worried as much. He's still going to kind of tell the story from beginning to end, but he's not as worried about linking it chronologically. In fact, that's a big part of what Luke does. I mean, he says, I'm going to give you an orderly account of how things started and how things ended. That's Luke's purpose. John is, again, about sharing the character and the person of Jesus. So almost more so than some of the other gospels, John, it's important when you read his text, when you read things from John, to look what else is around it. Uh, the cotex is the kind of the, the technical term. What, what is around that text? What's right next to it so that we can understand maybe a theme that John is kind of sharing with us? What is John trying to share? What kind of testimony is he trying to share through these stories about this character, uh, uh, about the character of Jesus, about uh, maybe his personality, a certain trait, a certain uh, promise, any of those things? And so it's important when we read John to look at what's around it and, and maybe we can capture a little bit something extra there. And so that's exactly what I want to do. I want to go to something that Russ hit on last week. And uh, it's going to be John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It's one of my favorite stories of Jesus. Because it blows up this idea that sometimes we get when it comes to Jesus. Sometimes I think we get this idea of Jesus, of that he's Mr. Nice Guy. He's Mr. Friendly. You know, you'd want to go hang out at his house. He probably wears warm sweaters. You know, he's Mr. Rogers, but like Jesus-esque, right? Perfect. And, and so we get this idea that that's who Jesus is, that he's Mr. Safe. And then you read something like this and you think, whoa, maybe not. And so let's just read it. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the, the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and other sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cord and drove all uh, from the temple courts. 
uh, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. Those who uh, sold doves, he said, get these, uh, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's not Mr. Rogers. And so this is how I picture it. This is why I love this, is, is it paints such a, a picture in my head when I, when I read that. As I imagine that Jesus and the disciples are walking into the temple, and uh, they get there, and they get to the front gates, and then you'll see that like, Jesus just like, looks in there, and then he just gets this look on his face that I, 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 like in my head, this is how I picture it. This is Greg's, you know, transition, you know, trans, whatever, translation, retelling of the story, uh, is this is how I picture it. Jesus gets this face, this look on his face that is what I remember my mom looking at me when I had screwed up too much, when I had messed up a little bit too much, when I had pushed the envelope a little too far. And it was this look of like, I'm so angry right now that if I just respond, I'll probably go to jail, Right? Like, and parents, maybe you've felt this before, right? Where you walk into a situation, and you're like, I need a minute to collect myself because what I'm about to do, no, can't, can't, just, can't just jump right into that. And so Jesus has this look on his face where he just, that anger, frustration at God's people. And he just goes quietly off to the side. It just says he starts whooping up a cord, right, to make a whip. And his disciples are like, should we go in? Like, should we head in, Jesus? What's going on? And then Jesus enters, and he's got a whip in his hand, and he's just whipping that whip around. He's driving out the cattle. The sheep are just, like, going crazy. He goes over to the money exchange and just flips the table, right? That's just, the coins are everywhere. He goes over to the, the, the cages where the doves are and releases them. And so I just have this, like, moment in my head where I just see Jesus, the cattle, and, and the sheep are all scattering around him. And, like, the dove is, like, flying perfectly in front of him. He's got a whip in his hand. There's a big explosion. Well, maybe not that part, but, like, it's just, like, this very movie-esque moment of, like, superhero Jesus, right? Like, and it's interesting because you look at that and you're like, man, Jesus lost it. What's going on? And it says the reason why he's so angry, the reason why he's frustrated, the reason why he's consumed with passion is because the temple was supposed to be the place where God and his people dwelt, And it's supposed to be the place where God and his people were connected. And instead of being that, they had turned it into this marketplace where where they could make some money, where they could make things easy, where they could just uh, allow uh, the people to come and buy stuff and sacrifice it and just check the religious boxes and not focus on their relationship. And so that frustrates Jesus. Because people are putting other things in front of the relationship with him. And his whole purpose for being there is to reconnect his creation to him, to God. And there they are just trying to make a few bucks. And they even ask him, they say, what authority do you have? What signs can you give us to prove that you have the authority to do this? And he says, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they said, how will you do that? It took us years to build this thing. And I love this moment that you'll get from John. He does this several times, you'll notice through his gospel, where he almost pulls back from the story and he narrates something. He kind of gives us, the, the, the readers, information. And he says, you know, we thought that, they thought that he was talking about the temple, but he was talking about his body, 
that he would be raised after three days. And so that's what happens. And then it says, after that, Jesus did do signs and wonders among them to prove that he had authority. But it's interesting, at the end of chapter 2, it says that Jesus did not entrust himself to those people. It was almost like he knew, he knew that their hearts were not really ready for him, that they wouldn't truly accept him. And so he kind of holds back a bit. He, he, he helps them, he, he cares for them, he blesses them, but yet he doesn't fully entrust himself to those people. He knew their hearts. Now I have to imagine that flipping tables in the temple would not necessarily make you very popular with the other religious leaders. And that's exactly who Nicodemus is. He's a part of the the council, the leadership council. And so uh, it's interesting. Some people believe that Nicodemus, he goes at night to go meet with Jesus. And there's a bit of a uh, unsure if that's because he's trying to be sneaky and and try to sneak in and kind of make sure no one saw him so that he could go talk to Jesus. Or simply that was just the time that Jesus would have not had a massive crowd around him. Um, But I think what is more uh, telling is the fact that that Nicodemus is a part of a council, but yet he's the only one that's going. Usually the Pharisees, they would have traveled together. They would have all gone to go question Jesus, to have him answer things. But instead, it's just this one guy. So he goes and he asks him and he addresses because they, the, Nicodemus and the other leaders, they have a problem. So usually if someone were to come and, and, and do stuff like this, of say things that would kind of paint the other religious leaders in a bad light, that they could normally just shut that person out and say, that person's a heretic, he's against God, everyone ignore him. But Jesus keeps doing these miracles that's really hard to ignore. Kind of keeps showing that God's on his side. And so the religious leaders have this problem of, he says things that paint us in a bad light, but yet he's doing these miracles and these blessings and all these good things are happening. So God's obviously with him. Where are we on this? And so that's why he brings that up in the, in the beginning. He says, um, uh, what, uh, sorry, I lost my place for a moment. Uh, in verse two, it says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. You notice what Jesus will say right after this. He says, in some translations, it'll say very truly, or some of your translations will say truly, truly. Uh, The reason why Jesus will say this is he's trying to help uh, the person hearing him to understand this is a very foundational belief. He's like, I'm just going to talk the basics with you. This is very important for you to understand. So this is is really uh, important for you to get. And so he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, that word again can be translated in two different ways, and some of your your translations might do it automatically. It either says again or born from above. And so we can kind of understand it in both of those light, this again or from above. It's the same thing. It's just sometimes I think that we hear a word so many times we lose its meaning. And so maybe it's better for us to hear it from above. This idea from heaven, from something else. And so until you will, uh, very truly I tell you, no one will see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above, is another way that can be understood. And Nicodemus asks a very uh, 
honest question, right? He, he says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to f- the spirit. Uh, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is breaking it down to try to help him understand. Like, uh, you know, people can give birth to more people, right? Flesh gives birth to flesh. Uh, but the Spirit, you need to be renewed. You need to be born from above. That has to come from the Spirit, And so he's trying to understand that that is something that's going to come from God. That's going to become something that comes from from the heavens, not from humanity. And so what I love about that is then he says, listen, don't don't focus on the how. Don't focus on how that's going to happen. Focus on the effects of it. And then he points to this, this, uh, the wind, right? He says, you know, you you look outside and you, you hear the sounds of the wind. You see the effects of the wind. And you know it's windy. The same with the Spirit. It, it's interesting. You know, I've been uh, a Christian now for about 15 years, and, um, and it's, it's funny because you can kind of see how the Holy Spirit works in different ways. You know, I've sat in uh, church services before where uh, you just see uh, that God is just moving, right? And you're like, man, the Spirit is moving today. He spoke to my heart, man, and the worship was awesome, and I'm just connecting with God. And the person, like two rows from you, is like, I got nothing. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, God was speaking to me. Why didn't he speak to you? Well, there's a, a whole slew maybe of reasons, but we don't truly understand it. Uh, and I can say that even with youth group. I mean, I've been doing youth group for a long time, and you put on an event, and man, it just hits the teens, and like it really just connects with them. And you see kids just starting to really devote their lives to Jesus. And then you do that exact same thing maybe a year or two later, and it like just kind of flatlines. And you're like, what happened? Like, I don't understand why it worked this way this time and that way that time. And truly, like, there's no, like, just calculation of, like, if you do X, Y, and Z, then that's how God moves. If that happened, then every church would be doing that. I mean, hopefully, every church would be doing that. Uh, But we don't always understand why the Spirit moves the way that He does. But what we can tell you is that you can always notice when He does move. Just like when when it's windy outside, you don't have to, like, really ask a lot of questions. Is it windy? Are you sure it's windy? Yeah, just go outside, and you know right away that it's windy, right? You see the wind moving the trees pretty easily. You feel the breeze on you. You you, you know the effects of the wind. The same with the Holy Spirit. When he moves in people's lives, you see it instantly. You feel it. It's hard to ignore. And, I, and again, I have to say, after 15 years, I've seen that happen constantly in people's lives. People who used to be gripped with fear, all of a sudden living in a new hope because of God. People who were at the brink of divorce, families that were on the path to destruction, all of a sudden get in healing and reconciliation because of the work of the Spirit coming over their family. 
people's lives that used to be gripped with addictions, being set free because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You can see the effects of the Spirit in people's lives. That's what brings us all together here on a Sunday morning as we see the effects of the Holy Spirit in our life and with other people's lives around us. We can see it. Nicodemus asks another honest question. He says, how can this be? And Jesus kind of, in a way, scolds him a bit. He says, you are, an, you are Israelite's teacher. He's like, come on, man. You, you should understand this. You're the one that's supposed to be teaching other people, and this is kind of foundational stuff. But what I love is he doesn't just leave him with that. He, he then dives in and explains it. Jesus says, uh, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has, uh, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus says, listen, what I'm telling you, you're not understanding, but I'm telling you that I know that the Son of Man knows because he's the only one who has gone to heaven and come down and is able to share and testify the things that he has experienced he says, but still you guys aren't understanding it. And I'm just telling you of things that you could see here on earth, the Spirit's effects on people's life. If I were to tell you how it works in heaven, it would blow your mind. You would never get it, right? And I think that God holds back information on us so often just because if he were to tell us what we want to know, it would blow our minds. We would freak out and go the opposite direction uh, just simply because we couldn't handle it. And so God sometimes... Uh, leads us just to that next faithful step in our life and just says, just take this step with me. Because if he were to reveal the whole plan, oh man, I got to tell you that if he would have told 20-year-old Greg that one day he would be going to seminary and standing on stage and talking to people like this, uh, I would have booked it the other direction, right? I would have said, nope, right out of that situation. I can't be, that's, that guy's not me. And you're right. I'm not who I was at 20. Hopefully none of us are who we are at 20. That's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and hopefully in your life. And so he says, he referenced this weird story. Did you catch that? Of Moses. What a weird story. We're going to turn to it. It's going to be in Numbers 21 verses 4 through 9. And it's this weird story. It's, it, what, what's happening here, to give some context, is uh, that uh, Moses is le leading the Israelite people out of Egypt. They have been slaves for years and years, and uh, he, they have been set free by God. And now they're on their way to this promised land that God has told them that they will have. Uh, but they've been rebelling all along the way. And so God has taken this thing that was supposed to only take a small little like uh, journey, which should have taken them no time at all, just a couple months, and, and instead has extended it to 40 years because the people were so rebellious. And so they're on their way. And then this happens. It says, uh, and starting in verse five, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there's no water, and we detest this uh, miserable food. 
Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take, away, uh, take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when, any, when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at it, the bronze snake, they lived. What a weird story, right? Why would Jesus, out of all the Old Testament, bring this up? Well, I think the point that Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand is that he is like those Israelites. He is like those Israelites. He's, he's wandering around. He's not truly understanding what God's purpose is for their life. And so instead of looking up to God, he's focused just on the here and now. And what Jesus is trying to help him understand is, Nicodemus, you don't even understand that you need a Savior. You don't even understand that you have been bitten not by a poisonous snake, but by the, the poison of sin in your life. And until you look up at the Son of Man, lifted up on a pole, you will not understand how to be saved, how to get rid of that poison in your life. And what I love about this is that John then again pulls back from the story because he wants his readers, he wants his listeners to understand what Jesus is getting at here. He's wanting people to understand how do you get rid of that poisonous sin that's a part of your life. And so he jumps in in verse 16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever may believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John wants his readers to understand the antidote to our sin is Jesus. It's the work that he did on that pole. We don't lift up a, a, a snake in church and say that's the way that we are going to be saved from our, our destruction. No, we lift up the cross because it was Jesus raised on the cross that gives us the ability to live. What I find interesting about the numbers account of what happened, the story, is the fact that it doesn't say that he lifted up the pole and then the snakes just scattered. That they just went away. It says that when they were bit, later on, they could still go back and look at the pole and they wouldn't die from the poison. And I think that's important for us to understand in our heads and hearts. As you know that in life, we're still going to have moments where we mess up, where we screw up. And we shouldn't allow those things to start to define us. When we mess up, when, we, when things go off the rails, we should always then remember to turn back and lift our gaze to Jesus and remember that we are cleansed because of his work, not our own. And it's not even by our faith. It's by him calling us out of darkness, calling us away from the old life. John continues and says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light 
so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So here's the question for us. Where are you living? Where have you been living? You know, we're still in January. We're still at that time where we can kind of look back at this last year. And, and it's always good. I, I, I like to just kind of take some time and reflect on my past year and say, where was I at the start of the year? Where am I now? Where am I going? And so I think that it's good for us to take a step back and look. This last year, 2021, where did you spend most of your time? Living in the light? Living in the darkness? Maybe a bit of both. Living in this gray area where we have a little bit of light, a little bit of darkness. That's common. We're humans. We mess up. But the point is not to stay there. Not to stay where you're at at the end of 2021. To start to look at your life and say, how do I move forward? How do I progress forward? How do I continue to allow God to have more of my life? To allow him to transform more of my life? How do I make intentional steps so that I can grow in my relationship with Jesus? And I want to push against this idea that it's a, a, you know, new year, new me. Jesus already gave you a new you. It's just you living into that fact. And so how can we intentionally live more into that? Now, I referenced that there's a theme coming when it comes to Jesus, when it was John chapter 2 and John chapter 3. And the theme is this. God is passionate about getting connected to you. And he will do whatever it takes to have his people understand who he is, to connect with you relationally. And so we see that in the temple where he flips tables, he releases animals, he, he drives out the market because he wants people to understand that this is a place for him, for people to connect with God. And you know what? He's going to do, do that in each of our lives as well. When we put things in front of him, when we, we put all these distractions or other things or other worries in front of our relationship with God, don't be surprised when he starts flipping tables in your heart. Don't be surprised when all of a sudden those things that you held on to that you really wanted to make sure that you had control over, he starts peeling back the fingers because he wants you to release it to him. Because he is passionate about being connected with you. But also, when we come to Jesus like Nicodemus and we just, we just have questions, he's also safe enough that we can, we can just be honest with him with our questions and, and ask him and he's going to answer those things and he's going to give us the information. He's going he, to help us grow in our faith. He's passionate about being connected with you. So we have hope not in our work, but in his work, that he's going to do good things in our life. And so he invites us into that. Jesus is shameless about his love for us, and he invites us to have shameless faith as we continue to walk out our lives for him. So here's the question, is how are we going to intentionally walk closer to God? How are we going to intentionally walk towards him this year? Maybe for some of you, that's uh, diving into the Bible plan. We got some papers in the back that you could take home with you. And getting into God's word, let me tell you, that's always the right answer. You're never going to lose time. You're never going to waste time reading God's word. And so if you are one of those people, and I've struggled with this in the past as well, where, where just getting into God's word can be hard sometimes. We get busy. We get distracted. 
How are you going to make sure that this year you can get more into that? Maybe it's, uh, it's taking that paper, putting it somewhere where you, 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 you'll see all the time, but also you, you set something on your phone. Set a reminder that's going to go off. Wake, wake up 10 to 15 minutes. Parents, I know, that's, that's high cost, right? Wake up before my kids require me to get up? I don't know, Greg. But man, that time could be so key. So whatever it is, wherever it is in your schedule, get intentional about how you can continue to grow in God's word. Dive in and see the results at the end of this year of how he'll continue to grow you and excel you towards being more like him, how he'll transform your life. Maybe, it, maybe you are, are good on that or you need to take a different step. Maybe it's getting more connected to, to church. And so you can come out on a Wednesday night and jump into our men's study or our women's study and, and bring your kids to the different groups that we have here. We have Shine, who's uh, just an amazing program, blesses my kids dramatically. Uh, and, and there's also Transform, the junior high group. And, just, and we have nursery, so like we just cover all of it, right? And so uh, come out and you can get more connected to this body of believers. Maybe it's simply just getting more connected to coming each and every Sunday where, where church can become a priority in your life. To say, no, for me and my family, we, Sunday mornings, we are at church. That's what we do. And from this year on, that's going to be a priority to us. And you see God starting to work in your hearts, in your mind, as you make sacrifices to do that. Maybe it's being connected with a few people here. You're just going to make a few connections because, because it, you know, you do have to work Sunday mornings or you, you can't make it out to a Wednesday night. And so you're going to connect with some people. And that's going to take you stretching yourself out to, to tap a few people and say, hey, can we connect once a month and talk about the Bible? I've got questions. We can pray for one another. Whatever it is that God is going to lead you to do that you would actually do it. You know, this last year, I've actually finally got to start going to the gym uh, and that took sacrifice. I don't sleep as much. Um, and, and a big part of that is because uh, I started to realize it wasn't going to change if I just kept doing what I was going to do, right? I, I, just, I was never going to automatically get skinny, right? That's not a part of my life, and I don't have those genes. Um, and, and so um, in order for me to get in shape, I had to make some sacrifices. I had to be intentional about doing that, and I had to get a partner, right, because I knew myself. Because Monday morning, especially when it starts getting cold, I could give you every excuse in the book. I needed, I needed accountability on that too. And so I invite each one of us to do that same thing, to get intentional with our walk with Jesus in the same way that we do with other things. So I invite us to pray as we get ready to this, uh, go through this last song, as we, uh, as we sing, that you would start to pray and say, God, how can I walk closer to you this year. And I invite you guys to, if, if, you, if something gets put on your heart and mind, that you would put teeth to it right now. Pull out your phones and, and put the reminder in. Put, put the dates in and where you're going to do those things. Put, put, something to, put some teeth to it, like I said. So I invite you through this next song, let the Holy Spirit work in you and see how you can continue to grow closer to God this next year. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you don't leave us where we're at, that constantly you are calling us to lift our gaze up to you, Jesus. Kind of like what Aaron was saying this morning, that we wouldn't be so focused and, and, and bogged down by all the, the things around us, that we wouldn't get uh, stressed out by the news, by the constant uh, reminders that our world has fallen. 
God, that we wouldn't put our hopes in politicians or anything else, God, but we would only put our hope in you, Jesus. Help us to remember this year that what we want to do is be closer to you, that we'd allow you to have more ownership of our hearts and our minds. And thank you that that is a safe investment, that you are someone who will relentlessly fight for us and call us to be more like you. Thank you for your love. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.